to Human Dreaming. I'm your host, Britt Shefflin. Susan E. Wiggett, welcome to Human Dreaming. I'm so excited to have you here today. I came across your work in one of the dream groups, and you were talking about how you um, dream and then you write your dreams or you turn them into other stories. And we will definitely dive into that a little bit more. But first, I wanted to start with a few basic questions around dreams and to kind of start to understand your internal dreamscape. So I'm curious, um, do you or have you ever kept a dream journal? Yes, I've kept one for years and years and years. I used to write them in longhand. I still have a whole bunch of notebooks, old notebooks. But now, um, because I have a smartphone, I'm writing them down on my smartphone, which is plugged in next to, you know, like on the nightstand. Yeah, I write them as soon as possible after waking. That way you don't forget them. Yeah, I actually prefer writing it on my smartphone because my handwriting is atrocious. Basically, what I do is I'll first write a description of the dream with as much detail as possible. And while I'm awake and writing, sometimes the dream's meaning quickly becomes obvious. Sometimes it's much more difficult to figure it out. But I end up writing my dream interpretations sometimes, if I have any. I try to finish writing the entire description before I start interpreting, but some of them, some dreams are easier to interpret than others. Sometimes it's like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Often I look up elements of the dream using um, an online dictionary and maybe even a print dictionary if I if I'm really dedicated and want to take the time to do that. And then sometimes, because I have really weird, I write fantasy and I have very strange dreams. So sometimes instead of interpreting a dream, I think it sounds like a great idea for a novel or story. So I copy and paste the dream description into a Word document called Story Ideas. That's really interesting. So I have a a couple questions based off of what you just mentioned. So um, you mentioned that rather than handwriting, you you put them in on your phone, which is great because whatever yeah. whatever works, right? But I'm curious, yeah. is there like a certain app where you do that? Or are you just writing it in notes? Or where are you putting that? In the Evernote app. Okay. And so I later email it to myself and copy and paste it into a Word document that um, is about dreams. Oh, yeah, I was about to say a Word document called dreams, but I've gotten so... I write them down so much that I have a different dream word document for each year. Mm. So now it's dreams 2021. <laughs> right. Otherwise it would be a thousand pages long. At sure. Point. <laughs> Do you tend to remember like a lot of detail? Like when you write your dreams down, you know, is it like a paragraph or is it like a full page? Like how do your dreams tend to come out as far as like amount of detail? It's, it varies a lot. If I don't remember that much, it could just be one short sentence or maybe a long sentence. Other times, it, I would just go on and on for several paragraphs, mm-hmm. which is pretty exciting. I'm like, well, glad I can sit here and do this in the morning. <laughs> glad I don't have anything scheduled <laughs> too soon to do that. But yeah, it can go on and on and on. And I get as many details, especially if I'm doing as many details as possible, or it's one of those weird science fiction or fantasy kind of dreams. 
So. Ooh, very cool. Science fiction and fantasy dreams. That sounds really fun. I I have not um, had the pleasure of reading your work yet, but just based off of your description of the stories, I'm very excited to do so. Oh, thanks. Yeah. So when you write down your dreams, and um, you mentioned that like sometimes you actually interpret them and sometimes you're using them as ideas for dreams, which I would just offer up as a little side note that perhaps the intention or the purpose of some of your dreams might be the creative side and they might actually be gifts from your subconscious saying, hey, here's, an idea, here's a story idea for you. So that could be the interpretation just to, you know, throw that out there. But yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I actually didn't think of that, but yeah. <laughs> It could be. It might be something to pay attention to. But um, I am curious, what when you do interpret your dreams, what process are you using to understand your dreams? What process? I'm not sure. It's. I remember years and years ago, I had a really interesting meditation-related dream, that I and I confided in a friend about it, and she interpreted it. I mean, this was probably around... 2003 yeah about 2003 that's about when I took up meditation and let's oh yeah and I think I may have confided in another friend who's into astrology and stuff and after that eventually over time I've gotten better at interpreting my dreams on my own Mm -hmm. but then even sometimes I want to go ahead and check an online dream dictionary anyway, although dream moods is currently down, so that seems to be the first one I want to go to. What is <laughs> it again? I missed it. It's dream... Dream moods. Oh, dream moods. Okay. And that's yeah, just like a website that gives you... Yeah, it's, like, it's alphabetical, but the trouble with these websites, though, is it's it's only, you can look up one word, mm. and, you know, that's it. So I'll, like, look up one word at a time and then end up maybe looking up several different words that seem very important to that particular dream like like boat for instance mm-hmm. red shoes well shoes I think that was like one dream where there was a pile of red shoes and there was a party going on across the street and it and it's like the dream interpretation didn't really make sense because I wasn't the one wearing the shoes mm-hmm and that's another weird thing. It's like with a lot of my dreams, I don't know if this is common, but with a lot of my dreams, I'm somebody else, a completely different person. And if you look at dream interpretation, it tends to be you, you, you. And it's like, oh, it wasn't me. It was some other person. <laughs> a future fictional character. You know? Yeah. Oh, see, that's a really interesting aside. I'd like to talk a little bit more about that because you are you are right. Most people it is very self-centered or, you know, me-centric dreams tend to be. But the fact that you, I mean, everybody usually at some point or another will have one or a few dreams from a different perspective of either just being disembodied or being an object or being an animal or being a different person. But it's pretty rare to have you be that on a regular basis. So I'm really curious, like, do you find that those are a lot of your kind of science fiction, like creative dreams, or is there a theme, or have you identified any of that? I think that it just varies drastically. It could be a really mundane dream, and I'm somebody else. I have someone else's perspective. 
I think they once even had like the perspective of like a little a little boy, like about six years old. Mm-hmm. So and, and I know. So that was really out of the blue. Um, once in a while, I'll even have like one of my fictional characters who I've already created will appear in a dream. This does not happen very often. Wow. But this once happened with one of these one of my weird science fiction dreams years and years ago. Basically, starting in the late nineties, I started this um, sort of series of stories set in, it's dark fantasy, but it's historical dark fantasy. It's basically, I've recently discovered it's called gas lamp fantasy, where it's it's basically 19th century. And in these stories, there are a lot of ghosts and demons, sometimes even vampires, although I don't emphasize vampires since they're overdone, you know, but um, in this one science fiction dream, one of the characters from that world appeared, even though this particular dream was not set in my, this version of Regency England, it was like out in space with spaceships and and aliens and and weird stuff like that. But then um, later I had another dream about her cousin. This was like a really elaborate dream that was that actually was set in that that time and place it's like regency england with ghosts and vampires and um and so that dream ended up inspiring i mean her cousin at that point he was not a well-developed character i had gotten some really negative feedback about him oh he's he's snarky and sarcastic what a jerk you know which was a shock to me because i originally wrote him as a as comic relief he was supposed to be funny and it just was inappropriate mm. <laughs> you know inappropriate snarkiness for this you know dark fantasy but in the dream I, he ended up having all this really interesting stuff going on that was tragic and all and i ended up writing first it was it was going to be a short story, but it just got longer and longer. And finally, years after the dream, I finally, I turned it into a novel just a few years ago, I think around maybe 2014. So, and I, it's gotten, it hasn't been published. It's gotten a few rejection letters from agents. I did share it with a critique group. So I'm not just throwing it out there without, <laughs> without feedback. Yeah. For, I have this weird habit of sometimes even after I've received rejection letters, I end up doing a major overhaul revision and thinking, oh, if only I had waited and not submitted before that, before this particular draft, you know? Sure. (laughs) But yeah, it was, oh, and another thing about that particular novel is, um, the stuff that's in the novel, not all of it is, was in the dream. It was basically the dream sets up, the beginning and sets up the basics of the novel and I just kept spinning off it. I, I expanded on it a lot and at one point I was the point at which I shared it with my critique group was when I was just utterly stumped because here's this weird novel based on a dream a bizarre dream <laughs> that seemed to come out of nowhere not entirely since this character already existed but so I ended up um, sharing it with my critique group and getting really great feedback that got me, that ended the, um, I, I basically had gotten writer's block on this specific project by the time I was like, okay, I'm going to share this with my critique group. And they helped. And also, um, 
because of what was going on in the world at that time, I was also doing, I was reading books on activism, like um, anti-fascist kind of stuff, how to, I don't know, overthrow, <laughs> how to, <laughs> how to protest and whatnot. And I ended up incorporating some of that, that sort of activism into the novel. And it ended up helping me develop the plot even more. And it ended up being a full length novel. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Um, yeah, about 90,000 words mm. or less. So kind of segueing here a little bit, um, and it could be from any perspective, like as a writer or a dreamer or just a creative person in general, I'm curious if you could create any sort of PSA, public service announcement, in any format, whether that would be a commercial, a, a billboard, like, you know, a television series, a book, you know, what have you, that the whole world would see, and it could just be anything from a sentence to being more intricate, um, in any format, essentially, what would your message be? What would that look like? And how would you transmit that to people? Huh. I'm not sure. I think I would say if it was just one brief sentence, it would be dismantle white supremacist patriarchy, basically. I love it. <laughs> and I'm not sure how I would transmit it. I imagine maybe a Kickstarter, you know, set up a Kickstarter to pay for an internet ad that would pop up all over the internet on websites and social media. <laughs> and I mean, I could post it on my Facebook or Twitter pages, but hardly anyone would see would see that on my personal pages. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I've never had anybody mention a Kickstarter before, but that's really brilliant because you get people engaged. I really like that. And also, 100% behind that message. How <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. Thanks. <laughs> I love it. Um, so... I know that you are, yeah, you are a very vivid dreamer and you, you journal and you use your dreams in your creative life. I'm curious, have you ever had a dream that really stands out as having changed the course of your life? Um, I, know, I don't know if this qualifies as quite that, you know, that huge, but I did have a dream, it's probably between like 2003 and 2007, um, I had I just took up meditation in 2003, and I found that I ended up being obsessed with Tibetan culture. So I'd be like reading all these books about Tibet and you know books about Tibetan art. And at some point, it, um, I'm not sure if it was right before the dream or like right in reaction to the dream. I got to thinking, you know what, I'm too obsessed with Tibetan culture and need to focus more on my actual meditation. <laughs> so um, it was it was where the stream took place in a Tibetan Buddhist temple. It was in the main really large, huge prayer hall. And there were some monastics standing, I think they were standing rather than sitting, on a dais at the front of the, the, the front of the building, the, the front of the prayer hall. And they were giving a talk. They were giving, you know, meditation instructions. Buddhist instructions, and their, their audience or students, I was one of the students, and we were sitting at these long wooden tables, and while, while a monastic, a lama was talking, giving this great talk, I was not listening. I had no idea. In fact, I think I may have been speaking 
Tibetan and I didn't understand the language. And I was just looking around the room admiring the decor and not focusing. <laughs> and I realized what I was doing and felt guilty. And I looked down at the table and on the table there was this long, there was this tray that was full of this sort of colored sand that is used in sand mandalas, Tibetan sand, Tibetan Buddhist sand mandalas. But the sand, the colors were all mixed together. It was chaotic. It was just a mess. And I think as soon as I woke up, I, I knew what that dream was about, that I needed to focus more on my meditation practice and less on Tibetan culture. And at some point, I ended up with a, um, a book and CD set called Insight Meditation. It's by Sharon Salzberg and I think Joseph Goldberg. But yeah, and that, through that book and CD set, uh, which was free of cultural baggage. It was um, essentially Theravada Buddhism, not Tibetan Buddhism. And through that, I was able to develop a disciplined daily meditation practice. And, you know, not, so it's it's totally different. Much simpler, straightforward. It's like the original type of Buddhist meditation, pretty much. Very cool. Like a little less dogmatic. Yeah, it's not, yeah, Tibetan Buddhism is really complicated. They have, um, it's influenced by Indian Tantra. There's like this, the, the, these complicated visualizations of deities in the bright and colorful, whereas with inside meditation, aka Vipassana, you're focusing on your breath. <laughs> you're not, you don't even need, you can have visualizations like um, there's loving kindness meditation, where you have um, basically a mantra, may you be happy, may you be healthy, may you be safe, may you live with ease. That's like a very basic, mm-hmm. very basic version of, um, of loving kindness or meta meditation. So that's part of the insight meditation. It's, it's very simple and straightforward compared to these elaborate visualizations in Tibetan Buddhism. So yeah, I'm glad I switched. Yeah. <laughs> and this is... Well, I mean, I would say that that's, uh, you know, changing the course of your life. I'm, you know, meditation is important. And for some people, it's just doing it at all. And for some people, it's finding the right thing. So, you know, whatever works for you and being able to focus and especially us creative types who tend to be like, ooh, looking all around and (laughs) being distracted by the shiny things in the world. It really does help to have that time where you're you know, a little more laser focused and, um, you know, just giving your, your physical body some attention, your brain some attention. So I think that's, that's a brilliant dream. And I, it seems like you happened upon the correct interpretation right away that, um, I, I love that. So, um, when you have, when you find knowledge in dreams like that, how do you, you take that knowledge and apply it, apply it to your waking life in general? Like, you know, with that dream, you actually changed the type of meditation you were doing and your focus from culture to actual meta, uh, meditation practice. But yeah. do you have any other examples of like how you take knowledge from your dreams and apply it to waking life? But it was also, um... Probably, like, before and after that dream, I kept having, I was going through a phase in which I kept having dreams that took place at universities or schools, and there was always these 
long white hallways. The floors, ceiling, walls were all just plain white. Mm. Do you think it's about that represents your consciousness? I mean, that does still occasionally come up in my dreams. I'll be in a space that's completely white like that. Um, but in these, um, oh yeah, I think it was the first of these dreams. It was when I, about the same time that I started meditating or started getting interested in Buddhist meditation back in 2003, I basically, it seems so crazy now, when, one of the things that was happening was I looked up the composer Philip Glass at the public library and I came across the film Kundan, so, which is about the Dalai Lama of Tibet. And so I, after I watched the film, I had this dream while I was going through the crowded hall hallways, crowded with students. I was chasing a college professor who, strangely, was Robin Williams in this crowded, perfectly white hallway. And I kept losing him in the crowd. And I told a friend about that. This is the one that where I, a friend interpreted it for me, and she did a really good job. Um, she basically said, well, the reason why, you're, basically Robin Williams represents the Dalai Lama as a teacher and because Robin Williams, because you discovered the Dalai Lama through a film and he, he's an actor. And it's, um, she also ind indicated that, yeah, I was, I was seeking knowledge and it would be challenging since he kept disappearing in the crowd. And also there was, at the end of the dream, there was um, this dark scene outdoors. There was a pile of, it looked like a pile of junk, and I was trying to figure out how to get inside the pile of junk, because I was sure that he was, that it would lead me to the professor. So she was saying that it's, um, I need to get through the junk, <laughs> and it, it would be challenging to... to Very literal. Yeah, it, it was... <laughs> It's pretty funny. <laughs> but yeah, since then, I've gotten better at interpreting my dreams on my own, just kind of gradually, I think. Yeah. I like that. Um, so could you just tell us a little bit more about if, you know, unless we've already covered it, about how you take your writing and then and then how you translate that and put it into dreams. Like it gives you kind of like the nugget of the idea yeah. and then you go from there. And it's so interesting how also the characters come back into your life via dreams, but just a little bit more about the process would be great. Yeah. I'll, I'll write, I'll just begin to write a story based on the dream. Um, since I write fantasy fiction anyway, it, it's kind of helpful that it's the dreams are so out there when, they're, when I'm doing that. But yeah, I'll like, um, basically I'll take, copy and paste the dream description from the, my dream document, stick it in my story ideas document. And I would say probably the majority of them are still just sitting there and not developed into a story. Mm -hmm. But I do end up, when I do actually at least start writing the story, I'll, sometimes I it's not a character that I've already invented. And so I'll be like, oh, I need to develop this character. <laughs> One of the problems I come across is dreams don't necessarily have a coherent plot structure. So I have to, eventually there comes a point where I have to make stuff up in order to create a plot. 
um, or sometimes the dream is just the beginning of the story and it doesn't include, it doesn't cover going all the way to the end of the story. Mm-hmm. Like I've written this one short story that was very, very much based on the dream. It's still, it's, it has gotten rejected. It's still not published yet, but which makes, I, I don't know, talking about this is making me want to like turn more of these dreams and their stories and, and finish some of these stories. But anyway, in this one dream, this one dream, um, it was another one of those characters from that, that dark fantasy Regency England reality. And, um, and he was a friend of the other characters and in this dream he's he falls in love with um he seemingly falls in love he's really hypnotized but by this type of fairy who's the governess of his cousins these two little kids at his parents house and it's it's just really weird (laughs) but i don't think that in i i'm not sure but i don't think in the dream he actually distances himself from her and goes off to London. But in the story, I ended up, okay, this needs to be resolved because I just, with the dream, I'm pretty sure it ends it with him getting down on his knees and, you know, confessing his love to this fairy. And it's, when I woke up, I was like, oh, that's as painful and awkward. <laughs> so I end up having him, he has to, in order to stop being hypnotized by her, he needs to, and snap out of it, he needs to leave. So he goes off to London and is hanging out with friends in London. And he recovers, but his father ends up, well, being hypnotized by her back home at the country house. So it, I, I ended up just making up this this plot twist that was not in the dream at all. Mm. You know, dreams can be a lot shorter than... Yes. <laughs> oh, that's so cool, though. I really love that. And I, I agree. I mean, it's like you have this wealth of, of information of sources for ideas. So that's really cool. So you, sometimes you might just, like, go back through, and if something really grabs you, then start to form that into a full-fledged short story or novel. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I yeah. like that. I like that. That's a really cool process. And what a gift to be able to have so many stories coming to you in your dreams like that. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Um, so do you want to just let us know where um, where and how people can find you and your work? And, of course, I will add everything into the show notes as well so that they can oh, digitally find it. But just, you know, to give them a little, a little something of where they can find you. Yeah. I think I mentioned I have some books on Amazon.com, and those are published under Susan E. Wiggett, W-I-G-G-E-T, and under my initials, S-E Wiggett. So basically two initials, first two initials, followed by my last name. Then I also blog on Medium under S-E Wiggett, and I'm on Twitter, where my account is at SoWiggett, and it's spelled S-E-W-I-G-E-T without the extra G. And then Twitter, I do post updates about my writing, so it's a good place to look. Oh, and I also have a Facebook author page, which is also S-E Wiggett, and it's with two Gs. Perfect. Um, so if you, like, if I were to read one of your books, which one would you recommend that I start with? Because it's short and whimsical, I would recommend the first volume and the Woman Wick. It's really shiny. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the Woman Witches Chronicles. Well, it's not Chronicles. It's just Woman Wick Witches. Um, it's less than one. So I, 
I've self-published three volumes. I know after this discussion, I'm tempted to like maybe do a little more, even though I'd rather, I'm not that great at marketing. <laughs> so the self-publishing has, has the, a frustrating side. Yes. <laughs> desire to have, you know. That's the hard thing for creatives. We're not, not always great at marketing, but yeah, that's, that's why you got to make things. Yeah. <laughs> you got to make yeah, friends like, who know how to market, but need creative stuff. <laughs> exactly. I mean, my favorite one. Okay. So there's, Lesson one is Spells and Enchantments. Lesson two is Gingerbread. And then lesson three is actually my favorite one, Violet and Steampunk Boy. It's, I just went, had a really fun time writing about those quirky. I introduced Steampunk Boy, who's just, he's really into steampunk. Very cool. So are they like, they're novel format though, like like fantasy fiction? Yeah, and they're, they're middle grade, so there's... The children's books, but I think that they are, at least, I had fun writing them. I'm pretty sure that adults can enjoy them, too. Oh, awesome. I mean, there's an eccentric witch um, named Amaryllis, and she's Violet's aunt, and she teaches her witchcraft, basically. It's it's good witchcraft, and she has a talking cat, and... And a very a, a little dragon named Brimstone. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so I have to tell you this. I definitely need to read these because I have a seven-year-old daughter who is obsessed with dragons and cats oh, and nice. magic, so <laughs> we will definitely need to be reading that, and that is, like, the whole world of what, like, the books that I'm reading right now is, like, younger or, like, young adult oh. fiction, you know, because I'll, like, read her longer chapter books out loud. She can read really well shorter books on her own, but I... Yeah. The, the chapter books like that to her so I will definitely be checking that out I'm very excited yes. I wrote you know what's weird is I wrote the original version of this when I was a teenager back in the 1980s it was like it was a bunch of short stories and when I was 19 I thought since I keep I'm compelled to keep revisiting these characters why don't I stick the stories together and call it a novel and you know I wasn't trying to be deceitful but um yeah it didn't really work out as a novel years later I um like about I think about 10 years ago oh wait a it was 2012 because I found I just recently found um something about that I basically got I shared that particular the, the original version with a publishing class graduate level at PSU and they gave me a ton of feedback and it was kind of it was overwhelming there was just so much feedback mm -hmm. including things like oh this should be one of the unanimous opinions was that I needed to take it from Victorian England to modern-day America so I was thinking oh I guess I should set it in modern-day Portland which is what I ultimately did but those characters had been with me for so long as Victorians that I felt some resistance, some anxiety mm -hmm. over it, and I ended up having, interestingly enough, an editing anxiety, a revision anxiety dream that was quite bizarre. And I recently read my, how I, I had written it down. It was in 2012, definitely, and it was just completely insane. <laughs> it was like. Um, there was this setting in this really dark black room. It's like instead of the usual white walls, ceiling, and floor, it was just totally black. And there were these um, sort of stadium seating, like um, a bunch of judges were sitting on these seats, 
all the way around. I think I was in the middle. It was it was kind of like in the Harry Potter books where mm. they're being judged and there's all this seating. But it turned out that all of these characters were actually androids and um, some, I think like some rebellious androids or other androids came in, barging in and and beating up those android the original androids and they shattered like glass oh wow and it was so weird i'm not sure how i managed to interpret this one because just reading the description without reading my interpretation i was like what on earth that is crazy <laughs> but in my interpretation um the um the characters shattering like glass was representative of oh i have to change these characters from Victorians to modern day Americans and that's so complicated and intimidating you know so and oh yeah and I also felt because I got dumped got all, I mean it was very helpful feedback but I got all this feedback dumped on me all at once from a whole bunch of people I felt like I was being judged right. <laughs> so that, that 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 judgment room you know with all these different characters looking down on me and disapproving <laughs> Yeah, it can certainly feel that way, even when it's constructive. But <laughs> yeah, it was yeah. it was certainly overwhelmingly constructive. Yeah. <laughs> oh, hi, kitty. <laughs> Very cute. Well, thank you so much for sharing your time with us today. Is there? Did I miss anything? Is there anything else that you would like to add before we wrap up? Um, I think that's about it. Okay. Well, like I said, I will make sure to add everything in the show notes so that when people um, listen to this episode, they can be sure to find you, and I'll put links to your books and all of that fun stuff. Oh, um, thanks so much. Yeah. yeah, but I am really amazed by your by how you managed to take your rich dream life and utilize it in your in your creative waking life. I think it's really beautiful and inspiring, and I'm super excited to read your work. And I hope I get to talk to you again. Yeah, talking about this has inspired me. I'm like, I mo most of these, you know, t these dream story things, most of them are unfinished. But now I'm like, I need to go back and finish those. And also, weirdly enough, when you emailed me about this podcast, I was in a Zoom meeting with Writer's Coffee Talk. And, it was, yeah, it was yesterday. I shared with them a dream that I had a couple of years ago that I've decided I'm going to make a, write a novel based on this dream for National Novel Writing Month, which oh, is cool. November. So it was like sharing, they were giving me some, helping me out with the ideas and all, because it needs a plot <laughs> and an outline and all that. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah. I love it. Well, again, thank you so much. And I hope we get to talk again soon and please keep in touch. Yeah, thanks for interviewing me. This is great. Yeah, thank you. We are supported by Human Dreaming, The Dynamics of Dream Interpretation by Sunshine Press. The Human Dreaming book can be purchased on Amazon.com, the Barnes & Noble website, or through your local bookstore. For dream share or help with interpretation, please join us at the Human Dreaming Facebook group. You can also find us on Instagram at human underscore dreaming. Thank you for listening and subscribing, and please join us again next week.